Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. of mad money from the heartbeat of the market, the New York Stock Exchange. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and coach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, how the heck are we supposed to figure out what's going on when the president of the United States starts bad-mouthing China, China, Right when his hand-picked team of negotiators is set to have a state dinner with their Chinese counterparts? I mean, these trade talks are so important. It's no wonder that the market's confused. Down hard on Trump's bellicose tweets for rebounding. Rebounding on the hope that the Federal Reserve will bail us out with a rate cut tomorrow afternoon that we certainly need. And that's why the Dow closed down 23 points. S&P dipped 0.26%. NASDAQ lost 0.24%. Now, maybe the president... Maybe he's got a brilliant plan here. I mean, I can see where he's coming from. But, man, it it does not inspire confidence about these trade talks when you tweet stuff like, my team is negotiating with them now, but they always change the deal in the end to their benefit. They should probably wait out our election to see if we get one of the Democrats like Sleepy Joe. Then they can make a great deal, like in the past 30 years. End quote. I I, I didn't find that all that reassuring. China trying to wait Trump out is the nightmare scenario for the stock market. Trump advising them to do that is less than ideal. When he goes on to say, we have all the cards, I think he's telling us to get ready for another round of tariffs. This time on the last $320 billion worth of Chinese exports that he hasn't hit with yet. To me, this rhetoric makes no sense unless the president means to undermine his own Treasury Secretary, who's desperately trying to get China to buy something, anything, as some show of good faith. Uh, you know you know what? Forget that. Forget that. Let, let's boil it down. Let me reframe this. I went to Philadelphia last week to address the Eagles at their summer training camp. They had some refs down there to explain the new rules to the players. I wish I could convene those zebra-striped refs now because I think they'd throw a flag and nail the president for taunting, setting him back 15 yards. Unfortunately, there are no real referees when it comes to negotiations between the two most powerful countries on earth, though. Believe me, you know, you watch, I am very sympathetic to the president's arguments on China. I'm in favor of him. He's not wrong. But just because something is true, that doesn't mean you should tweet it to the entire world. I found the timing terrible. More than that, Trump's making one major mistake. 
not all of his potential Democratic opponents, wants to go easy on China. Senator Elizabeth Warren is polling very strong. I think she's going to win Iowa, by the way. And if you look at her platform, she wants to be even tougher on the Chinese than Trump is by far. Hey, that makes sense. Warren wants the Democrats to go back to being the party of organized labor. And free trade with China has devastated the labor movement. In fact, she doesn't just want to blast China for dumping their goods here. She also wants to blast them for dumping their pollution here. Hey, memo to President Xi. Uh, He may not be watching tonight, but if you're hoping to wait out the Trump administration, the current occupant of the White House is the devil you know. And it's never too late to make a deal with the devil, at least the one that does seem to be closing the door right now. So what happens if we get another round of tariffs? I, you know, it's, it's actually harder to tell than you think. One thing's for certain, the incredibly strong quarter we got from Apple just tonight wouldn't have happened if this tariff tussle gets way out of control. I know there were some people who, critics, critics, who nitpicked about a service revenue slowdown, but I, I like what you saw if you backed out currency in a one-time game from last year. Wearables and service revenues are now a huge business for Apple, bigger than a Fortune 50 company in less than the time that Tim Cook has been CEO. Who says the guy doesn't come up with anything? Do not dismiss these streams or the coming credit card stream. That will soon produce more revenues than anyone on Wall Street is expecting, including the Uber bulls will be able to have a long-term value of a subscriber to the iPhone when this is done. Own it, don't trade it. What else could be hurt? Let's see. Lately, we've had a slew of reports that show American companies are frantically cutting back their exposure to Chinese manufacturing. Now, in some cases, it's working. RH, the old restoration hardware, it shifted its sourcing for the People's Republic and then blew away the numbers. It fell to nearly eight bucks today, thanks to the leadership of its redoubtable CEO, Gary Freeman. Ah, but then there's Cummins, the tremendous engine maker that we love from Columbus, Indiana. It reported a real bummer of a quarter, with international revenues down 15%. Why? They say it's, and I'm quoting from the report, primarily as a result of lower demand in the Chinese light-duty truck and construction markets, end quote. That stock closed down $8. That makes you want to flee from the industrials and hide in the domestic companies that benefit from lower interest rates, the ones like we're supposed to get tomorrow. Think housing place like D.R. Horton, which is making a fortune building starter homes, great quarter. Or Trex, we had them on recently, makes plastic decking that looks like real wood. I got it. I can't, you can't tell. Both stocks exploded hard. Hey, Trex was up at 19% as it's adding capacity to meet rising demand. I love that. Think the companies that make building materials like Martin Marietta. It saw a surge in construction. No wonder the stock's up 10%. That's the kind of thing that might force the Fed chief, Jay Powell, tomorrow to reconsider his rate cut. Uh, but we've had eight bad, we've, look, we've had so many bad quarters from the, the industrials that I think it won't deter him. Should Powell be worried that he'll be being perceived as browbeaten by the president into cutting rates right when a bunch of economic indicators and reports from companies are doing well? Here's the thing. If I were Jay Powell, I'd be thinking, quote, you know what? If I don't cut, Trump will slap tariffs in the last $320 billion in goods from China, and he'll cause an instant recession. In fact, I can draft the perfect script for Powell right now. Here's what he should say. Now, I know he probably doesn't want to crib for me, but he's also a watcher. He's a close watcher. Here's what he should say. He should say, quote, we would like the economy to stay strong, but because of the possibility that we might experience a shock to the system from a new round of tariffs, we must cut interest rates by one quarter of one point. And then he could add, get this, Jay, stay with me. 
Quote, our surveys indicate that the tariffs, while necessary in part to create a level playing field with the Chinese, are leading to a slowdown in some sectors of the economy, and it's important that the Fed stay vigilant in the face of any weakness. We will be dependent on data to see if we need to continue to reduce rates, including data that might be early sign of a faltering economy because of tariffs, which remain the sole precipitant to any industrial weakness and its carry-on effect to the consumer. End quote. Jay, your job is done. Just say that. Think of it as the perfect way for the for Powell to ease while still getting in some diplomatic jibes at the present without resorting to any Trump-style funny name call that you and my mom wouldn't like. But make no mistake, if the trade war with China escalates again, we're going to need these rate cuts. Here's the bottom line. Taunting does not a trade policy make. But it sure does sound like we're about to get another round of tariffs. Thank heavens Jay Powell's got our back because the president's too busy stabbing his own Treasury Secretary in the back to accomplish anything positive. Yes! Rachel, I was wondering what you think about the Capital One data breach and how it's going to impact the stock and the future of other banks. I'm sorry, the Capital? Data breach. The Capital One you data breach. You know what? Breach. This is something I talked about with some very big credit card companies today. And this was the one that a lot of them felt was the, the, the data breach that we'll really focus on. They're wrong. We won't. And we won't tell you because we just had this Equifax settlement and nobody got hurt. As soon as someone has to get really hurt for this to occur. It's not going to matter. I'm not recommending Capital One, but I would buy other cards, including Apple, which is going to have the best card of all. But thank you so much for a very considered question. Yes. Hi. I, I came all the way from Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas. Um, well, what is the team? What's the team there? Was it? I forget. Yeah, a football team. I remember. Yes, I had Dallas to see Cowboys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Yes. You mentioned before that your daughter used Sp- uh, Shopify as a platform Shopify, for her business. Shopify, absolutely. Yes. Well, how far do you see Shopify going in the future? Uh, okay. I think Shopify is thirty. I'd say thirty-six, thirty-seven billion dollar company could be a fifty billion dollar company. Frankly, I have to tell you something. It is shocking to me that Adobe or Salesforce hasn't bought it, but they don't want to sell. Shopify is the engine and empowerment of small and medium-sized businesses. I love them. Um, not a cowboy fan. Uh, I'll never draft a cowboy ever in fantasy ever. Uh, sometimes you have to get passionate. Yes, sir. Hey, Jim, a big Boston Belichick Brady booyah to you from what? Massachusetts. Why does everybody have to hurt me? Why do they have? Where are the Philadelphia? Could you? Regina Gilgan is my executive producer, and she has not picked a single Philadelphian for as long as I've done these outside shows, and it's wrong. How can I help? I have a fourth. Just do your assignment. <laughs> I have a fourth B for you. Considering the trade dispute, the potential listing on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, and the future eight-for-one split, what are your long and short-term views on Alibaba? Alibaba, which, by the way, here's a little irony, everybody. Here's a great quiz. The largest company that trades on the New York Stock Exchange is a Chinese company, Alibaba. And it also happens to be the only Chinese company I'm recommending. Why? Because when you look at financials, it looks like an American company. You seem like a smart fellow, Mike, even though you're... uh, the, the Belichick thing, which leaves me very cold. By the way, there was a Super Bowl two years ago. <laughs> so my take is, is that you should buy Alibaba. All right, thank, thank you. More questions. We have one more. Oh, this is it. Trump has mastered the art of taunting. 15 yards, uh, which isn't much of an economic policy, but it's really good in football. It does indicate more tariffs could be coming. Let's hope Chair Pal keeps us on the straight and narrow. Thank you, Jay. On Man Money Tonight, it's Summer on the Street. I'm coming to you straight from the New York Stock Exchange with the CEO of Levi's to find out how the company's faring. And is Ethan Brown the Elon Musk of meat? Yes, the Elon Musk of meat. I'll tell you how the CEO of Beyond Meat is a visionary, despite today's drop. And I'm thanking St- NYSE President Stacey Cunningham 
for the hospitality and talking all about the latest market action just ahead. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC. A classic brand, an iconic image. For over a century, it's been clear, consumers dig denim. With Levi Strauss on the public markets, should investors zip this stock up into their portfolio? We've seen it over and over again. Investors tend to get way too excited about IPOs. Initially, you might have some great gains, but then something goes wrong, the stock comes crashing down. Now, that is not the company's fault very often. I want to take Levi Strauss. This is the story jeans maker that came public in March. At the time, I told you this was a good company with a stock that was simply too expensive. It was trading around 22 bucks and change. I said, maybe wait for a pullback below 20. Then earlier this month, Levi's reported, well, an okay quarter. The actual results were solid. But management did warn of moderating growth in the second half, thanks to weakness in the U.S. wholesale business, meaning that department store customers are struggling. In response to this, the stock got hit, and it continued to drift lower to the point where, lo and behold, it's at 18 and change, where we said it might be pretty good. So as Levi's finally come down enough to be worth buying, let's check in with a terrific guy whom I've known for a long time, Chip Berg, the president and CEO of Levi Strauss and Company, get a better sense of what's new at this 166-year-old company. Mr. Berg, welcome back to Bad Money. Thank you, Jim. Good it's to great see to be Chip. here. Great to be here in sunny downtown New York. Well, Chip, you've got the right outfit. Now, <laughs> when, uh, the last quarter was tough because everyone expected you're the only real growth apparel company that people are looking at. And you've done so well for so many years in terms of what's going on. But there is a problem with the, um, let's say, the end, not the consumer, but the end consumer of your product, the department stores. Should we feel better now than when, when you had the conference call? Well, let's first get the facts right. Okay, we, had a great, we had a great quarter. Okay. Um, we grew 8% uh, on a global basis, in excluding foreign currency. Okay. Uh, all three regions grew, all four brands grew. We grew men's, women's, tops, bottoms. All channels grew. US right. uh, wholesale globally grew 6%. Our DTC business grew double digit for the 13th straight quarter in a row. Um, US wholesale was down 2%. Right. However, if you back out the impact of Sears and less revenue to off price, okay. Ross, TJ Maxx, mm-hmm. if you back those out, our US wholesale business was up 2% and up 2% on top of comping high single-digit growth the prior year. So on a two-year stack basis, we were up mid-single digits. So do you think quarter. that the uh, the stock got ahead of itself, the analysts may not have gotten it right? Because 
The I think, notion was that your guidance was more tepid than how you reported it. And I said it was an okay quarter, but you could argue better than an okay. But it did feel like that you were saying, whoa, I mean, maybe people are ahead of themselves with the stock. Not that we're not doing a good job. Yeah, we've been guiding mid-single digits, top-line growth for the full year. And, and we said that we only guide on an annual basis because we're running this business for the long term. But we've been saying all year, mid-single digits. We're up 10% through the first half. And we said on the call, at the high end of mid-signal digits, which you know the analysts can do their math, and that implies kind of a 3 or 4% second half coming off of 10% in the right. first half. And it is driven largely by um, some softness in U.S. wholesale. And we have some high things in the base as well. So, uh, but it is mostly you know, some caution, I guess, around U.S. wholesale. However, having said that, I am a big believer in winners and losers. I think this world is coming down to winners and losers. The Levi's brand is incredibly strong. And so we're in a position with all of our customers to be asking for more, to be asking for more floor space, more open to buy budget. They need us. They need strong brands today. And Levi's is a brand that can drive traffic for them. All right. So speak to me about uh, some issues involving some new products that we need in the pipe, some adjustments maybe, some resets, because I want to, again, just focus on the fact that after the quarter, the stock went down, and I, at 18, want to hear three bullet points why things are right between here and the holiday season. New products, uh, direct-to-consumer, so those sort of things. Our, our fall-winter season just hit the stores right. literally this week. Um, we've got some really strong collaborations happening, and that brings a lot of heat to the business. So okay. you'll like this one. We've got a collaboration with Hello Kitty. Hello Kitty hits 45 years old. That's going to make you feel really old. But we've got a collaboration with Hello Kitty. We've got a very successful collaboration right now with Stranger Things, the, the okay. hit Netflix show. Um, so all of that's on floor now. Um, we've also introduced uh, this laser technology where consumers can customize their own genes online. So a consumer can go online, literally design their own genes. It'll be finished by a laser. I'm wearing a pair of camouflage jeans, which okay. is probably hard to see on TV right now. But this was finished by a laser. And we can finish a pair of jeans for the consumer and ship it to them in less than a week. Personalization. Customization, which we know worked, personalization. Has worked so well for so many brands, and now you're doing it. Is, it is a huge part of what we're doing. In fact, in all of our mainline doors around the world, We've got tailor shops, and so really catering to the consumer. We're letting consumers personalize and customize their own T-shirts. Our T-shirt business is on fire. So I'm very optimistic about the future here in the U.S. and also globally. We have a lot of millennials who watch. Uh, as long as I've known you, and I met you through Mark Benioff from yep. Salesforce, you have been the most socially conscious CEO I've come across. Talk to us about what you're doing so your clothes are tend not to be landfill clothes. That's right. Well, sustainability is really important. Um, we're a company that really is all about our values. We talk about value and values. Um, one of the things when we did the IPO, I said, we're not going to change how we run this company. We're going to continue to stand for things that are important. This company has a track record of not being afraid to take a stand on important issues of the day. Sustainability is really important for us. We use it as a constraint in innovation. In fact, this laser technology is just one example. Um, we developed this technology primarily to eliminate a lot of the chemicals that are in the supply chain. 
finishing a pair of jeans requires dozens and dozens of chemicals. We've eliminated over a thousand chemicals by being able to finish our jeans with a laser. This shirt that I'm wearing, I wear, wore it just for you, Jim. It is, it is a combination of cotton and hemp. Now, hemp historically has been like burlap. It's a right, very right. tough fiber. We've worked with a supplier that creates cottonized hemp. So this product feels as if it's cotton, but it's also woven with hemp. Hemp, okay. is, uh, hemp is a lot more sustainable. It takes less water to grow than cotton. You can grow a lot more per acre of land. So it's a lot more sustainable as a fiber, and right. it's cheaper as a fiber, too. Right. One last question. I've always felt that uh, when I mention uh, textiles and workers, uh, people say they don't treat their workers well. And I hate the day because you've been extraordinary in what you've done. Thank you. Um, we've got a program called Worker Wellbeing which we've worked with a number of uh, NGOs uh, in most of our factories around the world now. We've touched over 200,000 workers in our supply chain, focused on making their life better and making them more productive as an employee in the factories that make our clothes. Well, I know you live this. You don't do. just talk it, you live it. Okay, that's Chip Berg, CEO of Levi Strauss and Company. Guys, now what can I tell you? At $18, you're getting the bargain. Mad Money is back into the brief. Thanks, Chip. Even in the dog days of summer, he's focused and fired up to help make you money. Now, Kramer rolls up his sleeves and goes back to his Wall Street roots. Because where better to find a bull market than the heart of the world's financial capital? Beyond Meat, the maker of faux hamburgers with a red-hot stock that got hammered today. It was down 12%. It was on the news of a big secondary offering. Certainly wasn't because of the fundamentals, because they had much stronger earnings and definitely better sales. Think of it like this. The company CEO, Ethan Brown, is the Elon Musk of meat. He's a believer that there are healthier, better ways to consume protein. Why eat a cow when you can eat a plant that tastes just like a cow? Like Moss Brown is a pioneer, initially seems brash, a zealot. They're both very in your face about their views. Beyond Meat is indeed a cult stock, just like Tesla. However, there's one big difference. Elon Musk doesn't want to hear anything you have to say. He dismisses anyone who disagrees with him as a moron or a computer simulation. Some people don't suffer fools gladly. Musk doesn't suffer anyone gladly. Ethan Brown is the exact opposite. He wants to hear what you have to say. He wants to hear your objections so that he can be better informed and produce a superior product. I grabbed a burger with him a week ago at the Bowery Meat Company, along also with a Beyond Meat taco, a Beyond Meat lasagna, and a Beyond Meat sausage. All delicious, by the way. And he told me Beyond Meat is one gigantic work in progress. I think that's a great line. No arrogance there. And on last night's conference call, he told a great story. Ethan's trying to make the best-tasting meatless burger imaginable. He wants all the flavor of beef with none of the stigma of eating a dead cow. I think he's doing a terrific job. But there are reason, there's a reason people say there's no arguing or accounting for taste. When I read the critics of Beyond Meat on Twitter in my column, they're mostly critics who seem to weigh out number of the supporters. And many of them, why? Well, they just don't like the taste. 
Another cohort prefers their competition, the Impossible Burger. Still, others believe Nestle will steamroll everybody when they roll out their awesome burger later this year. Finally, those who say that plant-based alternatives are actually worse for you than red meat. Let's address these one by one. While taste is inherently subjective, Beyond Meat sales are quantifiable. Numbers are exploding. It's up 287% year over year. Holy cow. Ah, that tells me there are a lot of repeat eaters here. Maybe you don't like the taste, but somebody does. Next, I happen to love the Impossible Burger, but it's made with genetically modified ingredients. And that flies in the face of the natural and organic ethos that's fueling so much of the demand for this stuff. How about Nestle as a competitor? Aren't they gigantic? Didn't they just report a terrific quarter? Yes, but I've tried their meatless burger. I thought it was inedible. But, but again, taste is subjective. Still, I think this category is big enough for multiple competitors. Then there's the health issue. Let's talk about that. This one's real. These things have a lot of sodium, more sodium than I'd like. This is not the healthy hamburger alternative that so many people want, but it comes closer than anything else I've tried. Which brings me to the point that always gets lost in this conversation. There's a stock called Beyond Meat, and there's a product in your refrigerator called Beyond Meat. These two things are not the same. We can fight over the product. Hey, listen, I grilled one right down the block here. I don't know. Smelled good. But the stock, it's traded at these lofty levels because half of the float, half, half of the shares available to the public has been sold short. There are so many people betting against it that it's pushed the stock up in its own right. At least until today when the shorts racked up a big win after the secondary was announced. As much as I, it hurt the stock, I think the secondary is actually a good thing. You know that? The action in Beyond Meat stock has been distorted by tight supply. You get more stock trading, you might wind up with a more realistic valuation. I say that because as much as I like the company and the product, Beyond Meat's currently valued at just under $12 billion, which is absurd for an unprofitable business that generated $67 million in sales last quarter. Oh, that's a lot of sales. I know it's growing like a weed. But the valuation is just way too rich for me. And again, I like the product very much. I'm just trying to point out that while Beyond Meat doesn't belong up here, it certainly belongs somewhere, which is something many of the critics struggle to accept. They felt the same way about Elon Musk and Tesla once. And if that's any example, the stock will never be low enough for some of the haters. But as for me, I think Beyond Meat's the real deal. The stock just needs to deflate a bit before, uh, maybe even a lot, before I can count its buying. But the burger... I'm ready for it now. Let's take some questions. Danny from New Jersey. Danny. Where are you, Jim? Where are you? Uh, thank you for taking my question. My question uh, today is about Yeti. I've been following your rules uh, for earnings season very, very carefully. And uh, I'm calling today to uh, inquire about uh, whether it would be better to buy a small position now prior to Thursday's earnings or... Uh, keep my bat on the shoulder. What All do you right. think? Okay, remember what happened. When the stock shot up to 20s, we said we didn't like it when it was in the mid-20s. We got back to 18. We really liked it. It's now doubled since when it was 18. I, after the last quarter, it was very soggy. There was some misinterpretation about insider selling. That's going to give you a better entry point. I think the same thing could happen again. But we stand behind Yeti, and we like it. And thank you for the question. Yes, ma'am. Hi, I'm Sarah. Um, I'm a college student from California. My question for you is, um, do you think, how would you compare Uber's recent IPO to Lyft's IPO, and do you think they were overvalued? Um, okay, I was wrong about Lyft. I thought it was a good level. Uh, soon after it came public, and that was a mistake, and I had to eat crow down about 15 points, not my favorite. Uh, I think Uber's an ecosystem, uh, not just a cab company. If it's a cab company, it's worth half of what it is. They're not my favorite stocks, but I think Uber's certainly better than Lyft, and thank you so much for the question. All right, with Beyond Meat, it's all about trying to find the right stock level. 
I think the company, though, is the real deal. And management is, too. And Ethan Brown is terrific, even if the stock is hurting. Watch where we have money at. Stacey Cunningham joins me to talk about her journey at the New York Stock Exchange, from one-time intern to first female president. Then the Dow Dubai breakup was years in the making. But how is one of the spin-offs faring now that the split is finally complete? I'm Ion Corteva. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Got a real treat tonight. I'm always trying to take the pulse of the stock market. So since we're here at the New York Stock Exchange, have you noticed the beating heart of global capitalism? Hey, why don't we go directly to the source? And that's why I'm thrilled to check in with our gracious host, Stacey Cunningham. She's the first ever female president of the New York Stock Exchange Group, which is a subsidiary of ICE, Intercontinental Exchange. A fantastic stock, by the way. Ms. Cunningham, welcome to Mad Money, and thank you for having us. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jim. We're so excited to have Mad Money here right outside the NYSE. Thank you so much, because you know this is just what I love to do it. Stacey, this is an exciting year. There's lots of listings, lots of unicorns coming public. I'm a big unicorn. Let's say I'm $10 million. Stacy, why should I list here and not on the other guy? Well, Jim, you're right. I mean, it is an exciting year. The first half of this year has actually been the busiest half for IPO proceeds since 2007. So it's really, it's really been off to a strong start. And when we talk to companies about how we can help them be a public company, it really comes down to four things. One, how we trade their stock. Okay. So we're going to trade their stock with less volatility every day that saves their investors money and saves them money. Two, we're gonna put them in among the, the world's greatest community of companies that exist anywhere, and we're gonna give them opportunities to leverage that network. Okay. Three, we're going to use our brand and visibility platform to amplify theirs so they can get their message out to the street. And then four, we're gonna give them a whole suite of services to make them a better public company. So those are the things that, that's just the role that the New York Stock Exchange will play. But for companies to come to the public markets, that means investors get access to them. And so that's another area of focus for me personally. Okay, so we hear all that. And then we also, when I'm in my morning show, we see the floor. Uh, where does the floor fit in in those, when one of those or all of those four? Yeah, for, so that comes to that first part when okay. I talked about the model and how we trade their stock. Our model is purpose-built to make sure that we can provide the best outcomes to the companies that are listed on the NYC and importantly, their investors or anytime the company's trading their own stock. As we know, the power of the combination of, of people and technology is so much more than either one of them on their own. And so putting those things together in a meaningful way where we automate the parts of the job that can be automated, but still leave room for human judgment means that our stocks trade with less volatility. If you look at the end of the year last year when volatility picked up in the fourth quarter, spreads on NYC listed companies widened out by 40% less just in the S&P 100. Well, that's a great selling point. The one I thought that you would mention, to, uh, it's all part of a piece. When I meet people who've listed, the most exciting thing that happens is the bell. They talk about the bell forever. They I mean, do. it is a treasure element of, of capitalism. It is. You know, becoming a public company is a, is a milestone on a journey for so many leaders. And, and the bell really reflects that moment in time. It's a moment in time, though. You know, it's exciting for me when we get to welcome them back to celebrate anniversaries, 40th anniversaries, 50th anniversaries. And, and you know, in part, when I talked about the brand and visibility right. of our platform, that's a way we can use that to help amplify their story and their message when they're celebrating successes okay. along the way. Okay, well, we, you know, we're in a moment right now where we've got some trade 
talks that are just yep. going okay. Let's put it that way. Largest uh, stock on the New York Stock Exchange, Alibaba. It's one that I've been recommending because it's a fantastic company. What would happen if part of this whole fracas came down to the president saying, we don't want any more Chinese companies listing in America? Why would that be bad for capitalists? I, I think when you look at the conversations around the, the trade negotiations, they're impacting businesses on a number of different fronts. And so we're, we're optimistic that as that, that will come to a conclusion that is uh, you know, okay. a positive outcome for, for all companies. But when you, you know, the, the U.S. capital markets are the deepest in the world. So investors from all around the globe are looking to tap into them. And Alibaba was just one example of that. Okay. And also, I know you're, you've got a big, deep background in governance. If you had your druthers, would you not have any companies that have two classes of stock? Because to some degree, it disenfranchises the regular people who watch Mad Money. Well, would the regular people who watch Mad Money be disenfranchised if they had no opportunity to invest in those stocks in the first place? That's the question you need to ask yourself. If companies have access to capital outside of the public markets, and they do, that's their alternative. So the reason why we continue to support and, and talk about these issues is my driving principle is investors should have the right to choose where they want to invest their money. And if we keep them private, they, get, they lose that right. It's a great answer. It's a great answer. It's thoughtful. One last thing. Uh, I look at your accomplishments, and I think, look, I was down on the floor in 1982. It tended to be a bit of a boys' club. You started from, from the bottom and worked all your way up, and I have a lot of people out there who want, I need to hear your story. Just tell me how it came. What's the art? My story is I followed my passion. I love the markets. I love the business. And I went to do it and I never stopped to think about whether or not I ought to. You started as an intern. An intern, yeah. I mean, when I was, uh, you know, in, in college, I was studying engineering and I started on the trading floor and I fell in love with the floor in about 15 minutes. So the rest is history. Oh, that's a fantastic story. I want other people to realize everybody can move up. Yes, You're a fantastic you example. I want to thank Stacey Cuddy, I'm president of the New York Stock Exchange Group, who is, like me, an optimist. <laughs> yeah. They have money's back after the break. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Hi, Jim. I'm Robert from New Jersey. Today's my birthday. I came all the way here to ask you about Tiffany & Co. Which one? Tiffany & Co. Oh, Tiffany & Co. I didn't like that last quarter, but happy birthday. I do like their stuff. I gave my daughter a tennis bracelet. For her graduation, I do think management's good, but it's not coming around so far. I also think the strong dollar's hurting him. Thank you. Yes. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Mike from New York. Mike. Thanks for all the hard work you and the staff put in for Action Alerts. Thank you, Mike. Yes, we have some of my team back there. Thank you. Canopy growth. Should I get in now or no, wait? No, no. Okay, I'm working on a, a longer takeout about a, about a scandal that happened in the cannabis area in Canada, and that's what's hurting the stock. I do like that one. It's the one I like. I like the new management. But understand, there's scandal right now. It's bringing that down, but I do want to keep you. I do want to buy it. I don't want to sell it, okay? Yes. Hi, Jim. My name is Brian, and I'm a college student here at New York. Um, so I was just wondering what, you th- what you're thinking about TTM Technologies. TTM? TTM. Um, I do not know TTM. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to come back on that. Okay, thank you. Yes. Hi, Jim. I'm Jolene. I'm from Boston College. 
Uh, I want to know how much more of an upside do you think there'll be for Disney with their upcoming streaming service in November? Look, at Disney reports, and I think that people are going to kind of just gloss over it. They're not going to say that much about it. I think that the streaming service is going to be a big hit because expectations, uh, Bob Iger's kept them down. But stock at 146, am I going to blame anybody for taking a profit? No, but I still like it very much. Thank you. Hey, Jim. I'm Jason from New York. Uh, Afria. Afria? Oh, man. You're Now you're really taking your life in your hands. Stick with Canopy, okay? Stick with Canopy. Yes. Hi, Jim. I'm Hannah from New York. So excited to be here. I'm Thank wondering, you. what are your thoughts on Ally Bank? On Ally? Ally Bank. The online consumer bank. Uh, I'm sorry. I can't. Ally, Alibaba? A- Ally, <laughs> Ally Bank. Oh, Ally Bank! Oh no, Ally Bank is very good. I'm sorry, it's actually not that easy to hear out here. That's a very, it's a very good bank. It's very good. I think it. Um, I still like JP Morgan a lot more though. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Oh yeah, Jim. I'm Fred from uh, the Jersey Shore. How are you? All right, man. I wish I were at the Jersey Shore right now. Ocean Grove. Big question is about Nvidia. It took a real bath last year, and it's uh, bounced back really well. The question is, where do you see it long term? You see it continuing to climb? I like Nvidia now. AMD reported a number that I actually think was okay. People so, uh, sold the stock down. They're going to say the same thing about Nvidia. They're going to they're going to extrapolate that. I think Nvidia is uh, AMD's number wasn't bad. I think Nvidia is, is uh, it's called a work in progress. I think it's got another quarter before it really takes off. But I think it's great. I want you to own it, or else I wouldn't name my dog Nvidia. Yes. Hey, Jim. Kevin from Virginia. I want to take advantage of the uh, emerging trends in cloud computing. What are your thoughts on Cisco? I think Cisco's terrific. There was some note out today. He was talking about the cycle maybe turning down. I think Chuck Robbins is doing a remarkable job. I think that Cisco is an inexpensive stock. I like the balance sheet. I like the dividend. I like the management. I say bye, bye, bye. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. For years, literally years, we waited for Dow Chemical and DuPont to merge and then break the combined entity up into three separate parts based on end markets. Now, regular viewers know that breaking up is fun to do, and it's usually pretty darn bullish, at least on Wall Street. Long ago, we reached the point where big conglomerates stopped getting credit for their scale and diversification. Don't get me wrong. Investors love scale. Big investors, big four managers, they live for it, but only when it's concentrated in a particular industry. That's the logic behind the Dow DuPont merger slash breakup. This is a world where conglomerates are penalized for having too many disparate businesses under one roof. Hence why we keep seeing these high-profile corporate divorces. Money managers prefer to own smaller, more focused companies with fewer moving parts. That's the way that they say, all right, I'm going to get this right. Their stories are easier to understand. Make it easier to know what you own, and then they can usually deliver better results once they're freed from the shackles of their parent company. So now that the Dow DuPont spinoff, which we talked about endlessly on the show, is finally complete, you'd think these newly created stocks would be worth owning otherwise. So why go through all this hassle? First of all, sometimes a company will spin off a division because it's garbage and management wants to cut it loose. Well, I don't think that's the case here. It's one reason you should always approach new spinoffs with caution. Sometimes the parent doesn't want to be with the child. Now, see, for here, the problem of the, of, of the children of Dow DuPont, it's different. Unfortunately, each of these businesses is tied to a particular business cycle. 
which means timing is everything if you're thinking about buying the stocks. At the moment, the timing stinks for these companies. Although some have it a lot worse than others. I mean, just as a reminder, you've got the new Dow, which combines the commodity chemical businesses from both of its parents. Now, we used to own Dow Inc. for the charitable trust, but after the dismal quarter they reported last week, we finally had to cut bait. This is a rough time for the commodity chemical space. So even though Dow's paying you to wait with a 5.8% yield, and I understand if you want to hold on to it because of that, a big dividend does not protect you if your stock keeps getting slammed. And I got to tell you, we were tired of waiting, given that we've owned the stock for years, and we didn't want to just be in it for the dividend. Now you got the new DuPont, which is like the new Dow, except for specialty chemicals. But tonight I want to focus on the third one, the one that really seemed very exciting initially to me, Corteva. Corteva AgriSciences, CTVA for you, home givers. That's a pure play on ag, on the agricultural business made up of DuPont Crop Protection, DuPont Pioneer, and Dow AgroSciences. Corteva was spun off into the wild at the beginning of June. And while the stock's hanging in there, uh, let's say that's the best performer of the three, it hasn't been a big winner. The stock opened at $26.54 on June 3rd. Now it's trading at 29 and change. Look, I think Corteva is a terrific company, maybe the best that you can own in the ag cycle. Merging Dow and DuPont's agriculture divisions was a brilliant idea, but this might not be the best time to own an ag play. We've had bumper crops over the past couple of years driving down prices. American farmers have been hard hit by the trade war with the Chinese. Even though the government's helping them, that doesn't change the fundamentals of the industry. Throw in some horrific flooding in the Midwest earlier this year, and you can understand why so much of the ag cohort is having such a difficult time. So here's the question. Should you buy Corteva here in the hope that the ag cycle, which so many people like, will ultimately turn? Or does it make more sense to be patient and wait until the stock gives you a better entry point? All right, now let's consider how this works. This is really the nitty-gritty of how stock picking works. Corteva, is it best to read? Absolutely. It owns some of the best brands in agriculture. They make genetically modified seeds. If you've ever farmed, you know them as Pioneer, Granular, and Brevant. Those are the best. Their products are miracles of modern science. They're more resilient. They produce higher crop yields. They've got seeds that can thrive in just about any environment. Corteva is the second largest player in the seed space behind Bayer, which bought Monsanto a little over a year ago and is having a terrible time. This industry is a slap-happy oligopoly dominated by just four companies. Bayer and Corteva alone account for 60% of all U.S. seed sales. I love that concentration. They've also got the best portfolio of crop protection products on Earth. Think pesticides, herbicides, fungicides. Millennials, close your ears and they hate all those. Between the two sides of the business, Corteva has enough scale to really strong-arm their customers. That stinks if you're trying to run a farm, but it's driven for a shareholder. By the way, this whole point of the Dow DuPont merger, what is it? It's, well, rather than being bitter rivals who compete against each other across multiple different end markets, they join forces to dominate those markets. Then they split into three separate companies that each have more concentration than either of their parents ever had on their own. Oh, it was such a clever plan! But it took ages and ages to pull off. The initial Dow DuPont deal was announced in 2015. And by the time they finally finished getting the the ports parts out, (laughs) terrible. And now Corteva has been spun off. The ag cycle is doing terrible. That's why management forecasts flat sales for 2019. Maybe 4% growth in operating earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Not enough. We know the first quarter results were downright ugly. Organic crop protection sales just up 1%. Organic seed sales declined by 10%. The source of weakness, of course, North America, which was down 22% thanks to the trade war and the awful weather. Now, this stock, 
Court Tava. It reports again on Thursday morning. And while there's not a lot of enthusiasm about the quarter, management's been pretty bullish about the second half of the year. As Corteva prepared for a spinoff, they told us the first half would be ugly, but the second half would make up for that, and more so. Then a little mo- over, let's say, a month ago, Corteva uh, announced a $1 billion buyback, equal to 4.6% of the share count, and they also declared a dividend, 1.8% yield. However, lately, investors have gotten somewhat skeptical here. At first, the bull case seemed obvious, thanks to its scale and pricing power. Corteva would be able to grow faster than its underlying end markets, maybe 100 or 200 basis points faster. Plus, since the Dow DuPont merger, they've already cut $1.2 billion in costs from the business that became this company. They think they can cut out another $500 million, thanks to productivity improvements over the next five years. So you put it all together, you know what? I like it. Unfortunately, those numbers aren't supposed to come together until next year. After the spin, a bunch of analysts rolled out bullish covers in Corteva, but it's all about next year. Over the past month, it's become clear that 2019 could be brutal for this industry. So if you want to stick around for 2020, you might end up being a glutton for punishment. Remember how there are four big genetically modified seed companies. One of them is BASF. German chemical company hit us with an extremely negative pre-announcement earlier this month. Since then, it's become a lot harder to focus on a potential turn in 2020. So we got to ask, is 2019 weakness baked in? That's the question. Right now, this thing trades at 20 times earnings. Uh, it's pretty reasonable for a company that might be able to generate 16% long-term earnings growth, assuming they can meet the estimates. That's not expensive, although it could be a lot cheaper. So the bottom line on a stock that I liked for a long time, but obviously because the cycle's been tough, I'm not so sure about, I hope they will deliver a better-than-feared quarter when it reports on Thursday. But hope should never be part of the equation. As much as I do like the company, and it is extremely well-run, the sector's having a very rough time. So if you want to buy Corteva, you know what? I think you should wait. I'm betting you get a better entry point than you're getting right now. And I sure as heck wished I had never heard of the whole Dow DuPont merger. Stick with Brandon. All right, so people like the Apple call. They like the service revenue stream. Remember, you have to add in something to be able to understand how quickly it really is growing. They also like the fact that the watch, the wearables, are doing much better than people expect. But there are always these gripers who think that Tim Cook hasn't accomplished anything. What are they thinking? Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.